House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I am Al Warren. Um, now, joining me as the co-host today, we've got Mr. Uh, Mel B. or Michael Brown. Oh, yes, exactly. Hey. One of the, the Spice Girls. You're going to be. You're going to yeah. be. New book coming out and everything. Ooh. Oh, gosh, yeah. November 2nd, Murder mm-hmm. of Madness and Mayhem. Yeah. Harper yeah. Collins, so that's great. Yeah. You'll be fun. on tour. Or I'm sure you'll be on tour with, like, Lady Gaga or something. Well, I am going to Nova Scotia for Christmas, but that's because <laughs> that's, that's where my family lives. And I'll probably do a book signing in the mall in the, of, in the town of 8,000 people that I'm from. So. Well, that's great. Maybe you'll sell 8,000 books there. Well, hopefully. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'll sell a, a couple because Mom is, is <laughs> shilling at the local newspaper. Yeah, she's camped out there every day. Have you heard my son's written a book? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good that uh, it's good to have support. You know, you need it. Really is stressful yeah. times. It's a long haul, and it's always uh, a lot of work getting it out there, and all the edits and rewrites and all that stuff. So it's it's great. That's fantastic. So I'm sure it'll do well. Um, you did your own. You did your own Audible too, right? I did. I did the uh, the audio book for it because uh, I I nobody else would <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I can't read this. This is terrible. Yeah. Oh, that always scares me. I don't think I could do an audible. That would be too much. It was it was interesting. I think you could pull it off. The way they do it uh, is is pretty straightforward. So if you make a mistake or you stumble, they just have you do it again right away. So. Oh, is there like an auto-tune for <laughs> I wish there was. <laughs> well, that'll be next. That'll be yeah. next. What's I spent, I think it was 20 hours in a studio doing it for... That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. For wow. a 12-hour book, which yeah. isn't too bad, yeah. No, that's great. Well, you know, you have to kind of redo things and take breaks. Yeah, I had to go back for some hiccups, but, you know, it was well, fun. You wouldn't have hiccuped if you, were, you weren't drinking <laughs> bad anyway um so now today we have got speaking of crime and right down your alley we've got a true crime author here and i believe it's his first book so uh the book is called the flat tire murders and it's the unsolved crimes of a south florida serial killer now the author is michael p burns thank you for being here thank you very much al it's a real pleasure to be here We'll see if you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now I, I wonder, so you, um, this is your first book, right? That's correct. First book, um, and I wrote it uh, last year, and it, it's coming out now at the end of 2021. First book. Yeah. What, what made you decide to go into book writing? Because it's not like you're a, um, a 20-year-old kid. Um, what was the draw to writing a book? Well, you know, after looking into these cases and being a, you know, a follower of, of unsolved cases and, and true crime for a long time, uh, I thought it was something that was important to, uh, to put out into the public. Um, and these cases, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's just not a lot out there on them. So I felt that um, they were worthy of, uh, of having their own uh, book written about them. So that, that kind of propelled me to do that. And, 
2020 with the whole COVID thing, you know, uh, kind of uh, locked down, gave me that that opportunity. How many murders are there in, in the flat tire murders? Well, if you look just at the um, just at the actual flat tire and canal murders, there are at least 13 victims in 1975. Oh wow! Right, and there are a number of murders that preceded um, preceded the the flat tire murders um, that we can talk about as well. But in those cases, there there were 10 to 11 victims in one set of uh, murders, and six victims at least in another. How did you find? this murder case like how did you how did you come across it you know i think i was interested in um uh south florida obviously because i i grew up there in miami and i was uh, kind of wondering what what was it like in the 70s and uh you know uh what was the uh, sort of culture like down there and i came across i think it might have been on a wikipedia page or something about about these murders and there really wasn't much more than that um so i thought you know, it's it's something that's worthy enough of a little blurb on on Wikipedia. I thought, well, what's what's really behind it? And when I started, you know, my research, um, it really led to a, a, a discovery of of something that was really important at the time, and then just sort of faded away, and and really no one remembers it to these days, you know, except the families and, and some law enforcement. What was it like um, investigating a case from the seventies? Like, was it, did you find it hard to uh, find information or find witnesses or police or anything that, that were around at that time? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people um, were talking 45 years ago. So um, I was able to find a couple of, uh, of detectives that were kind enough to, to speak with me about their experiences. Um, and really just because uh, I'm not in South Florida anymore, it kind of limited my ability to, to go speak with people. But um you know, it was it was difficult trying to find out, you know, because a lot of the parents are deceased from these victims. Um, and, yeah, it was a challenge to try to figure out who's who um, are siblings still around. Does anyone want to talk about this? But, you know, I was able to get it, get some leads um, that I thought were, were quite helpful. So so maybe describe um, what the flat tire murders were, like um, maybe the basic M.O. and kind of how it went. Sure. There, there's, they're referred to as the, the canal murders mostly when you, when you delve into the past, um, in the mid 1970s, but, but they've kind of taken on the moniker of the flat tire murders because of two of the victims who were, uh, within nine days of each other were abducted from a mall in, uh, in Northern Dade County and their, their cars were found with flat tires and they, their bodies were found basically in the, in the same spot. So, uh, those two, Two murders um, of Ronnie Gorlin and Elise Rapp kind of gave the, the name the Flat Tire Murders, um, but it connected in with the other murders due to the fact that many victims were being found in canals, a lot of them very close to each other. Um, but the basic M.O. was um, from what, what the law enforcement believed was that this was a very approachable, nice-looking, well-spoken person that was able to convince these women to come with him, probably not using force, um, but probably through deception and, uh, and uh, that sort of false trust, especially with the, the flat tire uh, victims where he likely deflated their tires um, and offered them help to get them, get them away from the scene. Why did you go uh, change the name to the flat tire murders from canal murders? Like what was the um, thought behind that? 
Well, um, you know, the, the name was the Canal Murders uh, in the 1970s, and that's what the, the media back then referred to them as. Um, I thought that the, the basically after I spoke with some of the detectives, um, that the, uh, the name the Flat Tire Murders kind of, I think, captures more of the perpetrators, uh, like you said, M.O., how they operated, um, and their their approaches to these women to uh, to get them to go with them. So, um, you know, they can be either the flat tire murders or the canal murders, but I think flat tire um, sort of, uh, like I said, captures how this person went about getting these women to come with them. So did these, these murders continue or did they just stop? You know, they, they really took place in 1975, and, and after that, uh, they stopped. Um, you know, the, obviously there were more, more murders in South Florida after 1975, but really the, the string of, of murders repeating every month or so um, pretty much stopped at the end of 1975 um, and, and really just went away from the public consciousness. But for that year, it was, it was definitely something that law enforcement was telling women about um, and really concerned about, and then they just stopped. And so, so what I, I wonder, do you think that the, the culprit, I guess we'd call him, um, moved to a different state or it, it, did it, did this pick up somewhere else? Do you think? I would think that probably there was either, you know, the, the person was either in jail for something else. They moved. I think there are a number of, of different possibilities, but based on what in my, my research and true crime is that these people can't really stop they can't really stop their compulsions with with a few exceptions and you know it's not a a hundred percent uh accurate statement but i i i really think that the person probably moved out of the area and when i went back to south florida a couple weeks ago um looked at some of the locations there was a um a connection that i i seem to make between uh the city of medley which is a, a industrial city out in the far western uh part of dade county and it's really a trucking and, and industrial city. And I, I think that there's definitely a possibility that this person could have uh, been a trucker. They could have moved on to a different location. Um, that's just a thought. There's really, there's really no conclusive evidence one way or the other what happened to this person. Yeah, it's, 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 it's always interesting. But it's kind of like a lot of the cases um, back in the 60s and 70s. You know, you hear about the uh, Zodiac Killer every year and uh, – and, uh, you know, remember the Golden State Killer and things like that. So quite a few of them um, just stopped, it stopped happening. And um, a lot of them don't get solved. So it's kind of one of those, it's a big question mark. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if these cases ever do get solved, it, it'll be fascinating to figure out why why 1975 was so what's a, such a, a terrible year and, and where this person uh, went after uh, after that year yeah i think 1975 the captain and neil had all the hits so maybe that was it in the <laughs> television show i don't know maybe something through them through him he went crazy you know i what, what were the victims now the victims themselves um was there any connection with those victims like were they friends did they know each other or was it the same type of uh, woman being um assaulted uh, was there any sort of regular thing that was going on there sure they they were all all white women 
and um, they were I've seen photos of very you know very attractive women. I, I don't know if they share any uh, real uh, connections other than those two basic characteristics. They were all, however, very young. And what really shocked me is that three of the victims in the in the flat tire murders slash canal murders were, were 14 years old. Um, so these were one was uh, 15, uh, two were 17. They were very very young teenage girls. Um, they were not prostitutes. They were not drug addicts. They were uh, sort of just general middle class uh, girls out in Dayton, Broward County. Um, in terms of connections, two of the murders are definitely connected because they were both um, killed together. That was Barbara Schreiber and Belinda Zetterauer. They were both 14 years old and they were shot to death uh, next to a canal in um, in Broward County. So um, th- those are definitely connected, and police strongly believe that the, the two flat tire murders, just due to the location of the victims and the, the M.O. of the perpetrator, were, were both connected as well. Um, the two flat tire murders, interesting, both, both women were Jewish. They both had uh, license plates that had the letter E on them, and they sort of began with an E and gave the rest of the digits, but those were uh, denoted to, um, to clarify what cars were leased or rental cars. Um, so there are some, definitely some connections. Some of the murders are absolutely related, um, but the frequency at which they occurred and the location of the bodies in the canals led law enforcement to believe that this is, this is somebody out there doing this. So the MO wasn't always the same. Um... Right. Right. It wasn't always the same. Many of these girls just disappeared, um, you know, walking home at night. Um, the two that were shot, uh, Barbara Schreiber and Belinda Zetterauer, kind of tricked their parents and said, oh, we're, we're going to spend the night at each other's houses. And they went off to kind of walk around and and they were uh, abducted and, and found the next day next to a canal. So, yeah, there's there's definitely uh, some connections uh, and law enforcement was kind of split at the time, whether these are absolutely all related, whether some are related. The medical examiner at the time said at, le- at least five of them are definitely related to the same perpetrator. Well, what is it that ties them together then? If, if it's different MOs and different things that kill them, like you say, some of them shot. And yeah, so if there's different ways, modes of death, um, what is the tie um, for these victims? The tie is really the, the frequency at which they occurred throughout uh, basically almost every month in 1975. Several of them were found uh, in the same canal, um, which is the canal next to U.S. 27. So it seemed that there was definitely a, a, an area that this that this person liked to leave the victims in, um, the ages, um, and again, the frequency of, of these uh, abductions and murders. So, so you were saying that the, the police and, and that were talking about it. So this was something that made the media in Florida for sure uh, that, right. that, that was being talked about. Um, how many, how many um, actual suspects did they have? Or did they have a kind of a drawing of someone that they thought? Or did they have any sort of warnings for people in that way? Well, you know, they, they definitely had warnings. Um, and they were telling women, uh, you know, before you get in a car, make sure that the tires are inflated. Make sure there's nobody in the car. Um, and another uh, warning was do not hitchhike. And that was a, a, a thing in the 70s that was re- really different from, from our view now of, uh, you know, sticking your thumb out and getting in a car with a stranger. It was a, it was a lot more frequent back then. So they were warning women not to hitchhike. Um, there, there was 
there were a few composites, but uh, based on what I found, it, it seemed that they were really just getting random uh, random information from different people. I, I saw this guy at the mall. I saw this guy w- walking around, but there were no composites of uh, who these women were with uh, at the last uh, at the moment of their abduction. So there really wasn't a lot to go on. Wow. So and then, like you said, it just sort of stopped in Florida. Anyway, just sort of just didn't happen anymore and so it kind of faded away right um so in 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 your research and when you come down to it did you ever think that um this person or maybe it's more than one person that's doing the killing right or do you right think? yes and when when i was able to speak to two of the detectives uh, three of them actually but two of them um gave me their impressions you know 45 years later and they were pretty steadfast in their opinion that they they thought Ted Bundy was the uh, was the perpetrator, and that really uh, kind of threw me for a loop. And and I had to dig into that a lot more because obviously he was in uh, Utah in 1975. So um, it was really interesting to have these these two seasoned detectives, of course retired by now, still to this day say, you know, I'm absolutely certain it was him. It was Bundy. Well, is, what is what is? Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, what is it that made them so certain it was Bundy. Well, they um, one of them went to talk to Bundy um, when he was on trial in Miami in 1979. Um, he went to the uh, to the jail and spoke with, uh, with Ted Bundy, and he brought up the name of one of the flat tire victims. And uh, based on his response, he thought definitely he had a he had a connection to it. He said he would talk to the detective about it more after uh, after his trial was over but he clammed up after that they also thought that he he fit the um uh, sort of the the mo of, of what this person would be like very good looking um smooth talker able to convince women to to come with him and some of the some of the crimes that bundy committed especially the one in utah that he got uh that he got arrested for eventually the kidnapping of carol Durant. He sort of uh, he, he did use a, a very similar M.O. It wasn't flattening tires, but it was uh, presenting himself as a law enforcement officer and, and convincing Mr. Ranch that she needed to come with him, which she did. So, uh, you know, there's 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 that uh, you know, uh, characteristic that they strongly feel that he was he was involved. They can't place him there, which is obviously a big a big problem. So um, and I think that kind of shows that that law enforcement was just, you know, climbing up the walls trying to figure out who this person could be. So was there any evidence that Bundy was in Florida at that time? Well, what's funny about Ted Bundy is that, um, you know, obviously he was a, he was a, a very uh, versatile person in terms of being able to get around. He was in Utah. He was in Idaho. He was in Colorado, probably other states as well that, that he never confessed to. But he was certainly not adverse to traveling um, out of, into different jurisdictions. Whether he was in South Florida in, in 1975 seems unlikely, and I kind of use that caveat because uh, there was a, a series of um, there was some time uh, back in the summer of 1975 when he really didn't commit any murders. Um, he most likely was in Utah, but again, knowing who he was and how he could travel, um, really can't 100% place him there. Mm. So I think I'd say it remains a, a possibility, uh, somewhat unlikely, but um, you know, still something to, to keep in mind. 
And just the fact that he spoke to the detectives and, and alluded to maybe I'm involved uh, doesn't necessarily mean he was. Right. Right. And, and he, he did like to play, play games with, with law enforcement and um, sort of allude to things that, that he probably didn't have anything to do with. But again, it's, it's just something to keep in mind. It wasn't actually Ted Bundy's, um, you know, he had been to Miami in 1968 as a, uh, a delegate to the Nelson Rockefeller uh, uh, election when the Republican convention was held there. So he, he had been to Miami in, in the 1960s when he was about 22 years old. So uh, obviously also he was tried there uh, in 1979. So he has some connections, uh, whether we can place him there, you know, in 1975 is, is a bit more challenging. Wow. Um, so, so do you, was, what was left behind? Like what kind of evidence do they have now? I mean, this was the seventies. So, um, not all the police forces were very uh, collecting the same that they do now for, for evidence and keeping it. Uh, was there a lot of evidence kept from those cases? You know, there, there's, there wasn't, um, some of the medical examiner's reports, the, the two from the flat tire murders seem to elude. And again, they're using 1975 sort of terminology and, and forensic science, but there may be DNA evidence or, or some sort of, um, biological evidence, uh, at the time, whether that, you know, has been preserved to this day, we, we just don't know. Um, but there, based on my reading of it, there, there was some evidence collected. There was a pubic hair collected from one of the victims, um, and there were bite marks as well. Um, so there, there is some evidence. Whether it's you know, sufficient 45 years later to, to nail this guy is, remains to be seen. Hmm. So what's your thought on it ever being solved? You know, I'm hopeful. Um, I, I think uh, one of the big, big instances in uh, – true crime that, that made a big impact on me was in uh, 19 or excuse me, 2018 when Joseph D'Angelo was, was arrested and charged uh, as being the golden state killer. And he later confessed, um, you know, my, my jaw hit the floor when, when it was announced that day. And I just thought, how, how could they s possibly solve a case from, you know, 40 plus years ago? And, and they did. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think, I think they are still working on these cases and um, I, I do talk about in the book some of the instances of crimes from the 1970s that, that Dade, County, Dade County has um, has solved recently. So there's there's definitely a chance. Well, so what was the area like in the, in those times? Like in 1975, was that kind of a, a dangerous area to be in, or? Well, you know, it came as a surprise to me that in the 1970s, South Florida was was one of the uh, most dangerous places in the country. Um, in 1975, uh, Dade County had the fourth highest crimes per capita. Broward County had the sixth highest in the in the United States. And in 1975, Florida had the third highest crime rate in the U.S. So um, one of the one of the uh, sheriffs in 1974 or three, I think it was, said the it's like an invading army has, has arrived and has taken over. So it was, it was definitely a crime, crime ridden area in, in the mid 1970s. Mm. But, but people weren't scared back in those times. Like people would, like you say, just get in a car and hitchhike and do things like that. There wasn't a lot of terror going on. Right. Right. And, and that, that's another thing that, that really struck me was the, was the hitchhiking angle just because it's, it was so prevalent back then that 
that young girls, you know, teenage girls would would find that this is a good way to get around. Um, you know, nothing really is likely to happen to me. And if it does, I can I can handle it myself. There wasn't the terror, I think, that that came out in the in 1980s, 1990s about, uh, you know, what kind of evil people were were lurking out there. There was definitely a, a more innocent uh, attitude towards uh, towards life in general, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't wear seatbelts either. Right. So right. I could just jump out of the car. <laughs> Someone attacks me. What's um, at the end of the day? Um, what is it you want people to get out of your book? I want them to know that these that these cases occurred. Just, um, you know, I think in the Golden State Killer case, the fact that it was in the public consciousness, um, either online, through books, through documentaries, um, people became interested in the case and really put, I think, public pressure on uh, law enforcement to, to really throw the resources at this case and to keep looking at it and keep digging. Um, and they eventually were successful. Um, you know, I think the same thing could happen here, provided that there's enough public uh, consciousness ab- about these victims and that they're not forgotten. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. Um, you know, and times were so different, you know. Uh, it's, it's t- did you find it difficult writing about something from the 70s um, and, and not – and I guess you'd have to sort of explain – uh, a lot of people don't realize how different it was. Absolutely, and and in terms of um, you know what law enforcement had to had to work with, a lot of it, um, you know, think think of the Ted Bundy case, uh, which occurred in the 1970s. He was eventually arrested in '75. He was convicted on bite mark evidence, basically in 1978. There was no DNA. Um, there was very little else in terms of forensic evidence that that could really nail somebody like they do now. Um, but based on his bite marks, so sort of a, a primitive, uh, uh, you know, method of, of, of solving a case. So they, they didn't have what law enforcement has to work with now, databases um, and just sort of the, the abundance of information that's out there. Um, so they, they basically had blood typing. Uh, they could compare hairs. You know, does this one look like that one? Uh, exclude people, maybe polygraphs, but um, it was sort of uh, on your feet get out there and talk to people, uh, forms of investigation. Um, so they were, they were limited definitely in what they could do. Now, now did he sexually assault these, these girls and women that he uh, killed? The flat tire victims were sexually assaulted. Um, it, Ronnie Gorlin, one of the victims in the flat tire murders was, um, she had bite marks, uh, on her, on her breasts and there was, uh, biological evidence found on the Elise on Elise Rapp, who is the second flat tire victim. Her uh, her genitals were stabbed as well. So there's definitely a sexual component, at least to those two. So he was a violent killer. Like he he maybe made them suffer some, or yes, and that comes through in the the medical examiner's reports as well. That there may have been what they they described as gentle choking, which I, you know, thought, what the, what the heck is that <laughs> sort of uh, choking that, that uh, re- lets someone, uh, you know, become revived and then uh, it choked again. So there was definitely a domination and a, and a sexual component to those two, two crimes, at least. Gee, that's like the Rodney Alcala in the California doing right. that. Right. Right. Maybe there's something in the water or something. Um, so, so how was this? How you said you were writing this during COVID? How was that for you to write during COVID? 
oh, it was great. <laughs> you know, there was uh, there was little little else to do, and you know, there was a there's um, you know the internet, and once you have that, and you can get in touch with people and, and start looking. Um, it was it was actually a, a very uh, cathartic cathartic experience to to do that while you know the rest of the world is kind of uh, at a standstill. So it was a it was a great opportunity to to do something that that I thought was important. So it, outside stresses and things like that going on didn't really um, affect your ability to write then either. No, and you know it, it gave me an outlet. It gave me something to to do during those times, and and um, you know it was really just a, a great way to spend some afternoons and, and evenings. Um, you know, after I was done with work, to to dig into this. Um, so I I found it you know to be pretty uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it certainly would be, you know. How were the police that you talked to um, from cases back then, were they sort of surprised that someone was looking into these these old cases? You know, they, they were very, um, very guarded, very professional. Um, I, I don't think it took them by surprise that, that these old cases were being, you know, looked into by someone. Um, but they were they were certainly responsive. I, I really thought that reaching out to these guys would would maybe not result in anything, but immediately they responded and, and told me everything that they, that they remembered. So uh, I don't think they were surprised so much as, as they were, um, again, very professional and hoping that, you know, these cases could be solved. I think they probably took it pretty hard um, when, when investigating these cases and they really came up with nothing despite, and one of the detectives said, we spent hundreds of hours, we did surveillance, we talked to every sex offender, we, you know, we really pounded the pavement to, work these cases and, and they, they came up with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And they only had so much to work with. So, well, so at the end of the day, are you happy with how it turned out? I am. I'm, I'm happy that it's out there and that, that people can, uh, can read it. They can get in contact with me. I've got social media up related to the, to the cases and I'm happy to, to interact with people that, that are interested and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad it's, it's out there. Uh, you know, this may not be the, the end of the story. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of have to see. But I, I wanted to get this out there also because, you know, it's, it's a, a case from 75, excuse me, 45 years ago. So people are, are getting older. A lot of the parents of the victims are deceased. Um, the detectives that I spoke to are in their 80s. So sort of time is, time is ticking here to, to resolve these cases. Yeah, of course. Do you have a website as well? I have Twitter. Um, people can find me on Twitter uh, at Flat Murders. Um, I also have Reddit, um, Instagram, and a Facebook account, uh, Flat Tire Book. That's Please. probably the best way. All the dangerous places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be careful there, you know. Right. What's next for you? I, I'd like to keep looking into these cases and, and just sort of keep keep pushing as much as I can to to find new information to keep uh, keep in contact with people uh, out there. I don't know what what particularly will will happen, but um, these cases still still fascinate me. And my goodness, seeing them solve would be fantastic. Um, uh, but, yeah, definitely, I think keeping on on these cases is is my immediate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting. It's a great case and ho hopefully it uh, gets resolved and you can do a book, too. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Okay, now the book we're talking about is The Flat Tire Murders, it's the Unsolved Crimes of the South Florida Serial Killer. And our guest has been the author, Michael P. Burns. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Get the latest news and opinions from Eric Shapiro from the House of Mystery website in the Shapiro Report. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll tell you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.